Are you thinking about property? Great, you're in the right place because so are we. Join us each Monday as we talk to estate agents, architects, solicitors, surveyors, and all of the cast of characters who populate this endlessly fascinating Irish property market. Our aim is to make you feel better informed and more confident with each decision you have to make as you buy, sell or renovate your property. I'm Brefni O'Kelly. I'm a licensed property buyer and coach. Thank you for listening. You're really welcome to episode 43 of At Home with Brefney, where each week we talk about one of four different aspects related to property. One is buying property, creating beautiful interiors, the business of being an estate agent, and making money from property. So today, if you're interested in making money from property, we've got a fantastic guest for you. It's Catherine Brennan, who I don't know how to describe you, Catherine, because there are so many strings to your bow. But what I can tell you is she's someone who knows exactly what she's doing and she's pretty hilarious at presenting. I've just finished a course with Catherine on buying property to flip it uh, for a profit. And Catherine was the presenter and it was a fantastic course. I'd highly recommend anyone to do it in the future if you're thinking of it. But Catherine, can we just start with the first thing that everyone loves to know about you, which is that you're an accountant. Yes, thank you very much, Bradley. What a welcome. And exactly, I'm probably a very unlikely accountant. I was probably a bad fit for accountancy because it's a rather serious, it's an overly serious profession. Mm. But of course, the the figures, the the spreadsheets come in handy, property related as well. So I suppose my zone of accountancy is actually not unlike really flips. Mm -hmm. And I specialised almost immediately in trying to cut costs, efficiency, and doing running accountancy departments the lean way. Mm -hmm. So I only lasted probably three months in an accountant's office and I said I need to get into industry where they're building something or selling something or okay. so I then specialised in why does it take so long to do that? Is there not a faster way to do that? What mm-hmm. if we did twenty of them together? And mm-hmm. So I then set up a practice cost saving basically in yeah. companies which would have been everything from production companies to service um, to machinery companies so all across the spectrum okay um, so then so you're working away finding that you like the business of business rather than accountancy yes, practice exactly. what led you to be buy your first property uh, as an investment or even as your home how yes. did the property well, turn and start? my first property actually in Canberra in Dublin I wish I bought 10 of them at mm. the price um, it was I think 63,000 of the old money at the time um, which would be maybe 68 or 69 mm-hmm. and I I feel like I had an awareness for as long as I can remember that if you, you need to buy something mm-hmm. quickly rather than waiting to buy the perfect house because of course what you expect to live in is evolving as you get promoted at work and generally the cost of it is running far ahead of what you're actually earning. Mm-hmm. So I think when I bought that first property I was earning still only £11,000 back in the day. So right. actually the multiples would have been very high. I think I borrowed 90-95%. Um, but I was lucky it was in a time. Um, that was about 22 years ago. So mm-hmm. it was in a time where there was great growth without any improvements. Yeah. I, I don't think I even knew about improvements or what you would do, what you wouldn't do. So when you bought the property, it was presumably to live in, and that was, was the... To live yeah, in. And rather than exactly. pay rent, get this thing bought. Exactly. And I ended up then living for nothing, which was fantastic. So I had two tenants... Oh, right. ...who were more than paying. Mm. So I think I had a surplus of £200 a month. And sure, when you're on... Eleven thousand pounds, two hundred a month is a lot of money. Right. So I was probably clearing all my utility bills and everything. And it was a three-bed house with one bathroom, two, two beds. But I used okay. the parlor. Oh, as a as a third. bedroom, exactly. Yeah. And it had just the kitchen diner. Yeah. Very I good. suppose we were of an age that you were out a lot. Well, yeah. now as you get older, you want yeah. a sitting room, you want a quiet room, 
Um, so I was probably running a HMO when I didn't know what a HMO was. <laughs> and for those of you listening who don't know what a HMO is, if you haven't been feasting on the property podcast, that HMO is a house of multiple occupancy. Yes. So then, okay, you have your house to live in on your own. Now what happens next yes. in terms of your property journey? So I decided then I um, the... HMO journey was becoming tiresome of course because as I got busier and more responsibility mm-hmm. at work I was dying to come home to a quiet house in the evening yes. and it was somewhat of a party house um, and I wasn't a wholly innocent party in that right. so I was dying to buy a one bed in a nicer area mm-hmm. um, and again accidentally a great purchase so I then bought a one bed in Clontarf just where sort of Fairview meets Clontarf at mm-hmm. the present and um, for about 120,000. We were now in Euro. That was still double in probably three to four years after that. Um, and I left the other one sit and rented it. Okay, so you didn't sell the other I didn't one. Okay, sell. you were off. You and were, I was off, and I had off. the second one. Right. And I hadn't had to save in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd qualified then as an accountant in the meantime, so of course I had relatively higher wages. Um, still, um, nothing sensational. So I moved on to the one bed. Um, and Catherine, and can I just say, you're obviously a prudent person because. You were doing sensible things with your money. A lot of people wouldn't be so sensible. I, I, I know you're an accountant, but, yes. but you obviously don't have a lavish lifestyle. Or maybe I'm wrong there. Yes. But you, 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 are, you don't seem to be someone who would like to buy consumer goods. So you prefer to have solid... No. Exactly. I suppose I did. I fall. Fa- I fell foul of the shiny car syndrome, all right, for a time. Yeah. But then that wears off you. You know, no matter yeah. they may, they may all. It's a great novelty for a while, having had, you know, your first car and being able to upgrade nicely. But really, after a point, I'd say I suppose I would have spent a good bit, probably pre-recession, on consumer goods, but. Still, I was still always investing a substantial amount, reinvesting, um, and borrowing. I presume generally and borrowing. So I top. I believe I topped up the first one to buy the second mm-hmm. one. Then I decided that was great, but I needed more space, so I moved over to Glasnevin and bought a two bed and hung on to the other two. Okay, renting them both out renting now. Them both so now out. you're a landlord and, and now an accountant. You're a landlord with no training at all, might I add? Which yeah. I wouldn't advise. I no. wouldn't recommend for anyone. I'd say at least do a course in landlording. Especially since it's got so much more regulated oh, now. Exactly. I mean, back then and still, even with a lot less regulation, I wasn't clued into. This type of tenant is going to create problems. Mm-hmm. This young couple aren't together that long. If they break up, one won't be able to pay on their own, mm-hmm. which, which happened. And ah. I moved off then to Glasnevin. And I think at this point then I was also starting to do stuff abroad. I can't actually recall clearly when I started to buy stuff abroad. Okay. And are we at the start of the boom now? Or are we in the... We're, we are probably um, in the boom really because yeah. at this point what, the 60,000 old money in Cabra yeah. is probably valued at 200 by now. Okay. Right. So we're, we're early definitely 2000s. exactly right. early 2000s. So then I, and I still, by now I had my own accountancy practice, so mm-hmm. a non-audit practice. So I would go into companies mm-hmm. and go through how much money they were spending producing accounts and sort of usually including reception, customer service, mm-hmm. even stores. And I'd completely reorganize um, with the view to usually saving 20 to 30% on Gosh. my overheads. Right. And that was very achievable. So then I had several long-term contracts and I had staff I would take over their staff and mm-hmm. um, so that was busy and, and full-on my office was down in Selbridge so I was commuting from Selbridge up and down right it just happens like that because I got there's a lot of companies in Kildare between yes. Nace Industrial yeah. Estate Selbridge and so I had some in Dublin but it seemed to be easier still to have staff in Kildare. Okay. It's also probably easier to get people to work, to work there because yeah. everyone was overemployed in Dublin. So at this stage, because in the early 2000s, property is in the air like 
everywhere and everyone is talking about property that's my memory yes. of the early 2000s and everyone is yes. thinking of buying in Bulgaria and Bratislava and Romania and places they've never visited is this the kind of climate we're in now yes okay it is. property craziness property in the area right you could buy several units in one day so it naturally yes. makes sense that you are now considering rational sane places like Yes. out of Ireland to buy yes because of course even though each of the three or four I now had I then moved to Chapel Lizard didn't last missed the north side of Dublin I think I stayed at Princely three months on oh. the river beautiful house beautiful and is the north side Chapel Lizard. or maybe you were just south couldn't settle I was in a taxi permanently back to Clontarf mm. so then I bought a house in Clontarf keeping everything as you go keeping everything right um, so um, so now we're up to five at this point. Kind of my borrowing capacity probably in Ireland. Right. But of course, if you go abroad, it's like a whole new era. Right. So somebody gives you a new checkbook as such, and okay. off you go again. So how how easy was so it to borrow money abroad then? It's I would say generally, it was even though it was much easier then in Ireland than it is now. It was still easier abroad. Right. And it was actually quite hard for them to get a handle on what you already had because they were based. They won't run a local credit report. They're based. It's based on disclosure, really. Okay. Um. So I had bought. I'm not even sure how I came across the locations. Really, Latvia, Lithuania. I bought apartments in the capital. Right. So you were very near the main street sort of very urban areas did you go over to see them or were you like many people who didn't even see them i went to see them and i was absolutely blown away by how advanced they are because i think it's fair to say that most of us irish think that we're more progressive than eastern europe yeah so i was absolutely blown away to see that the equivalent of their BT, they had five and six BT for Range Rovers that couldn't get parked outside BT. the door at Brown Thomas. About, oh yeah, okay, yeah. They would have a full Gucci shop, not a railing right. shop. And I was astonished by the wealth in the cities where there would be probably a far bigger differential between city and country there. There would be still people, more people, I would say, at sort of subsistence level. Okay. But certainly in the cities, there so was what plenty was... wealth. Right. So what was attracting you to Latvia? Like, presumably you were looking at lots of other countries in in the world, perhaps, yes. at this point, as everyone nearly yes. was who was in, interested. Yes. So what made you... Was it the return? Was it... What? They had... Exactly. They had good returns and you could still get to, to... Within two streets of the main street in the capital. Right. So I... Even though I had most definitely lost a lot of myself, preferably yes. like others, I still knew location, location. You know, yeah. it's no good being out in a little town that the tell you is brilliant value. Correct. I need to be in here. Yeah. Where the At least you know that is the main money. street. Nobody can dupe you about that. It is the main street. street. All the big restaurants and shops yeah. are there. And the standard of finish was amazing, which was an eye-opener to me also. They, they normally sell apartments there without a kitchen, actually. Mm-hmm. And it would be down to where we would obviously standard finish a studio. Studios are very popular. Mm-hmm. But you would be choosing every tile and paint colour and kitchen fitting. And mm-hmm. there's an awful lot more thought goes into finishing. Um, and actually, I was able to readily get tenants the minute they were finished there. I would have and did you physically list. get those tenants or did you and appoint I, a, I letting, had a, a letting agent? I a great letting agent right. over there. But again, looking back, it's it's luck because you're so reliant on a person that you're yeah. not near. Yeah. I had a really, really good guy and he even raised all the finance with me and you only needed, you could borrow 90% at the time. Right. Um, but you're so reliant on someone that if they left that job in the morning, you wouldn't even have a point of contact. You know, you'd be sure. them on an office number, which yeah. was no longer um, relevant. Yeah. So, and Latvia and Lithuania, I suppose, are similar um, in style, similar, um, you know, similar types of amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this stage, you... you you were probably like a lot of people in the boom. You had a portfolio that yes. was valued at X on paper, exactly. which allowed you a nice chunky borrowing capability. Uh, but yes, so so you've bought the stuff, the two apartments in Latvia. Yeah, six. Six. I think, you bought six. on the one day. Oh my <laughs> Big god! Big splurge! Oh my god! So I had, I think, six in Latvia. 
four in Lithuania and then I still had what I had here and I did actually sell off two of the ones in some of the ones then in Latvia as they come finished and actually made a little profit so passed right. them on as we would here really right. getting an off plan price yeah the developer has to have a certain amount of pre-sales before they get their bank finance yeah. so actually I did let some of those off again right. so I think when it came time to rent I had two and two in Latvia and Lithuania actually rented out and fully finished. Okay. And I had flipped on the rest without doing anything myself. Right, just the rising tide had yes, lifted them. Exactly. And exactly. Um, so at this stage, are you thinking, I love this property thing? Are you considering it? You're obviously still working full time, am I right, yes. as an accountant? Yes. But is any part of you thinking, God, wouldn't it be nice to do this full time? Yes. Oh, most definitely. Right. And I suppose, looking back, we were getting to really, um, and I also had stuff by this point in Spain, specifically in the Canary Islands, because I knew they had the weather. Right. So I was doing yeah. serviced accommodation then, weekly lets in Fortaventura in Spain. Okay. Again, a separate finance regime. At the time, you could almost borrow a hundred, you know, they had things with, revaluing them when they were ready for you to move in okay. so it was 80% of the closing value yeah. and um, but I would have I'd have spent money on fit outs that I wouldn't spend now I'd expect to get the whole house for the price of the furniture okay, costs, you know really uh, same as here I suppose yeah. it, um, and and I had things booked off plan in Dublin also so I thought I couldn't get out of my job quick enough really yes and I suppose I was lucky that um, I was approached by two separate people about buying my business and they actually bought it together then. They knew each other a little. Oh. Um, my concern was selling it to either one of them actually that I would have a six month time frame but if they lost the clients I had to pay back the money oh. so it was in my interest. To sell it to the one who's likely to migrate. keep the clients. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, exactly, I thought, how would the clients react to this? I've been on call 24 7, maybe these people won't be as available. Mm -hmm. I've made myself available no matter what day of the week, if they're worried or mm -hmm. anxious, or there's a vet bill, or there's a crisis with the number of staff. Mm -hmm. But still looking back, I leaped at probably exactly the perfect time because I sold in 2007. So almost immediately, really, oh. things started to go the other way but right. they would have within the business as well looking back right. because I had an awful lot of clients who were in some way related to property yeah it was I mean you think 25% of all our GDP was property related yes. at that time you know say higher companies small machinery but nobody needs 20 mini diggers if they're not yeah. there on site yeah so everything really is connected oh my goodness so the very thing that had allowed yes. you to build up your business was just about to collapse yes but was leaving you quite reasonably yes. set up in your own personal life with your portfolio yes. to crack on yes okay but now you've got the nest egg from your business and sale yes and you've got a, a a portfolio that looks good on paper for a yes. little while but the tide is definitely starting to go out now in yes. 2007 so what happened next yes I think I sale agreed the business in 2006 and I had already, I'd sort of committed immediately to spending my nest egg. Right. So I had my nest egg, actually that's probably when I got the stuff in the Canary Islands because they were some of them were delayed. So my nest egg all went back into property, right. all on deposits. And, okay. um, and in Ireland? It, no, abroad at that point. Right. I think the last... But again, the house I bought in Clontarf wasn't that long before that. So it was at the top of the market. You know, I paid absolutely top dollar. I remember at the time my garage costing €150,000. Right. Where now I'd expect to buy a little yeah. house. Yeah. And you in would. Ireland. Yeah. Somewhere in Ireland you'd get yeah. a semi now. You'd get yeah. a three bed, a four bed. Yeah. Um, so now, of course, I have an absolute ton of commitments. Yes. Um. And I 
I suppose I took some time, I had a workout with the business that I had to stay within the business part time to sort of migrate clients over and get them used to their yeah. owners. And even then all was still quite stable. That may have been late 06, early 07. Yeah. And I was probably too busy to be reading articles too about wobbles. Right, yeah. But then suddenly when you have a little bit of time on your hands, yeah. Um, it feels like actually that next summer everything completely fell asunder yes. because I had my six month handover completed and I finished in May. It was a November to May and I thought this is brilliant. I'm going to go off travelling now for yeah. a little while. But I'd say I had one peaceful month. Right. And by August tenants aren't paying the rent. Right. Um, I suppose really even if your letting stayed the same you probably would have come to arrangements with the banks. Yeah. Of course, there's huge amounts of defaults, but as tenants lost their jobs. Yeah. Um, so it, it really took, I probably then had five years that was complete firefighting. Maybe, right. Maybe more, I'm thinking that's probably five or six years. Yeah. Um, right. 2007, yes. 2012, just horrible years for everyone's yes. phoning. Yes. The banks are phoning. I often for... think if we were in the UK, you know, after three short payments, yeah. you, the house would be repossessed and in yeah. a way it's all over. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good thing. It's great for family homes, obviously, yeah. to let it go on a while. Yeah. But um, I don't know that in cases with investments and stuff, is it worth prolonging the agony? Yeah, I know what you're saying. You but know, they were probably so swamped. It, yes. it might have been a bit of a principle not to chase yes. everyone straight away and appoint receivers but maybe just so many files on those banks desks yes. to address even get to yeah them. yeah you don't have that same avalanche i suppose in the uk a certain amount of people are defaulting every month and yeah. can deal with them speedily yeah it's not like you know a hundred thousand people stop paying on a single month yeah um yeah so we're in 2012 you've struggled through this disastrous property crash making whatever arrangements you've made with yes. your bank and something in you is obviously brave because you're you're back <laughs> you're you're you've started to build up again yes well i i suppose exactly i'd worked through all types of various arrangements but then people i suppose in i sort of then um came into the situation of helping other people with arrangements because okay. i had I suppose the accountant in there tried to figure it out why are some people getting arrangements and other people aren't and I decided it's all in the presentation of the information you okay. know they don't understand what the bank needs but the bank don't write to you and tell you mm -hmm. so I remember then I started to do look after some insolvency cases Golly. so I literally rang every bank in Ireland and said what do you need to make a full assessment to see if you write down debt. Yeah. And some of them had seven items, some had eight, some had twelve, some had eleven, some wanted sworn statements of affairs, some didn't. Yeah. So I decided I you, I can't send in different um stuff depending on who it is. I'm going to send all twelve items to everyone. Okay. It was an overlap. Yes. Then. Okay. And I'm going to index them and I'm going to be tidier than everyone else. And I'm going to never send one thing till I have everything. Okay, so you're going to make their job so their easy to deal with. Exactly. Right. So I've begun to then work through huge amounts of insolvency cases. What um, a wonderful person you were to have for so, someone. You knew property, yes. you knew debt, and you knew accountancy, uh, and yes. you knew banks. Like, yes. That is a fabulous intersection of all those yes. circles for I anyone who's in distress. I did insolvency practitioner exams, but didn't actually register because I felt that they, they cover, I suppose, formal arrangements, debt settlement arrangements, personal insolvency arrangements. But I felt that they're very limited. You really have to fall within a short enough criteria. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of big firms. At the time, Grant Thornton was doing, though I'd say they still are, on a no-win, no-fee basis. Mm -hmm. And so are McCambridge Duffy and Donegal, who have so much experience from the UK. So right. they'd have 40 years probably experience. Right. So I said, I can't compete with these guys. You need huge volume because you only get paid on a success. I'll deal with the people outside the criteria. Okay, so in a sense, yes. now your income is possibly coming from dealing with these insolvency exactly. cases. And how did you charge? Did you get the percentage or did it, you get a fee? In or? the beginning, I would get a fee and I wasn't 
cute enough in the beginning to, to take a fee up front. Right. And not people, it's almost been very hard to collect money from insolvents. Mm-hmm. But obviously, realistic, most of who I'm dealing with are landlords because the people who are just trying to protect their family home are most definitely safer within a formal arrangement. Mm-hmm. So I would say to them, go straight to where I'm current and you'll be looked after. Mm-hmm. You're, you're within the protection of the courts then mm-hmm. in, in those arrangements. But so I'm dealing with landlords, and of course a lot of landlords haven't remitted rents to the banks. Yeah. So they definitely have a nest egg. So they've been collecting um, rents, been collecting but they rents, haven't been paying anything back on their mortgage. I think a lot of them, once they realised they can't pay it all and they're going to lose it anyway, mm-hmm. they would start to hoard to try and do an arrangement. Mm-hmm. But they still wouldn't necessarily be keen to pay you, even though obviously you'd slog long and hard. Okay. So, so I, I'll keep all my rent and I won't I'll give it exactly. to the bank and I'll be delighted with the deal you do, then I'm not going to yes. pay you. So I had to wise up, obviously, and say I need to charge half my fees up front. And I also found then that you eliminated the people who weren't serious about doing a deal mm-hmm. and then realised that a portion of the people were only going through the motions that never actually provide the information okay but once i put an authority on file with the banks i'm looking after this it's mm-hmm. me who will get the phone calls instead of them yes so they have now diverted the, the person call. who's yeah. who's chasing them yeah um and I suppose a lot had changed too since I had initially fallen into difficulties. The, the all the regulations about not pursuing people too much had come into place. So the bank couldn't ring you five days a week. I mean, I clearly remember the initial year or two, Bank of Scotland ringing every single yeah. day yeah. asking me, what are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, I remember um, that. Where you, that is not allowed now. You can't yeah. badger people like that. Yeah. I'd have clients who people turned up on their doorstep and actually goodness. told their next door neighbour why. Oh my there. goodness. Um, which obviously was extremely stressful. Extremely it's bad stressful. The, sometimes the husband or wife wouldn't even know the extent. Never mind to tell yeah, the next the neighbour. Yeah. I mean, nowadays you'd be you you fail yeah. all the the GDPR as well as yeah. um, the. So um, so you're now getting into the area of distressed properties, people who own properties that are distressed, by which we mean they are worth less than the debt is and the debt isn't being serviced. Exactly. So I'm trying to bring us up to speed with where you are now you're in terms yes. of buying property and flipping it on because it's kind of... It's out of this swamp of debtors exactly. and troubled property that the phoenix yes. is rising yes. again. So I've begun to realise that, okay, I can't buy anything. I now have some clients who are out of the woods for two or three years and maybe have some money, little bit of money gathered. Yeah. I also have people who would practically give away their properties yes. if they could get a deal with the bank. Yeah. But of course, I can't actually make offers on any of the properties which I'm looking after, but I realise that the country is full of these properties. Yes. So I start to sort of pick on um, towns or I start to try to see things that I would ring and ask, is this a bank sale? Mm-hmm. Is this, um, I'm looking for things that are really run down. I begin yeah. to realise that they're being sold at their absolute bargain book price now mm-hmm. and nobody wants to do the work. I had even suggested to banks, mm-hmm. why don't you hand over 10 of these at a time to somebody like me? Mm-hmm. And even set a budget of seven thousand each, and I guarantee you will get forty thousand more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they, it's they, of course that's not their space. They're not renovators. Yeah. I had now completed the interior design course and also the QFA exams in the meantime. Mm-hmm. But of course, they have no interest in that whatsoever. They Some, just want to move the file. Anything to, that adds one exactly. more moving part to this file just is not welcome. Right. So I realise these properties are here. And sometimes I was able to connect people who had to get rid of something with someone who I would know actually they got a better arrangement than they thought. They had a hundred thousand mm-hmm. saved, we had to pay ten, they have a little bit of money. Um sometimes people could pair up then and do something, sometimes people would pay me to look after something. Um okay. and of course I was beginning to learn then as yeah. you get into a filthy, yeah. really run down house. Yeah. What do you really need to do and what will you never get your money back on? Yeah. 
really so interesting. I, yes. So, um, and then by this point, I had actually seen a house also that I I had was in Dublin all these years, and I had always intended to move back down to Mayo, and I had seen a house which I now had the eye to identify this is why this is sitting empty mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. You know these people probably need an arrangement. Yeah. And the type of market it was, there would have been hardly any viewers because it's mostly retirees. I so this was a house that was Ireland. technically for sale. It had exactly. a for sale sign outside it. Exactly. But just basically just couldn't sell because um, I suppose the bank probably had too high of an expectation. Right, and probably so, was presented with zero love oh, as well. Oh, completely overgrown and right. possibly probably even uninsured, you know, because yeah. people forget to renew insurance when they're not living in a house. Yeah. So um, I was able to secure that house then just from funds which I had now generated from doing all these cases. Okay, your own funds. These, exactly. Okay, so when you say secure the house, this house is for sale. Let's say for argument's sake it's for sale for 60,000. Yes. Uh, and it's in disastrous repair and it's been on the market forever. Yes. So the first thing you'll probably do is buy it very well because it's yes. been sitting on the market for a long time. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you've gone in and you've negotiated and, and I, exactly. and below the asking. Set about, exactly. And then I've set about finishing it because it was uninhabitable. And so, often, Captain, those properties don't have the electricity or the water connected exactly. either. Exactly. And um, so would you have had to reconnect I them? Had to, it did and it had no bathrooms, no kitchen and I would have been on a really tight budget once I paid the house because obviously borrowing is an option yeah. at this point yeah. unless from a family member or a friend. Yeah. Um, and really nobody had spare funds. So when you went um, into that house, I just wanted to get a sense of how bad it was. It was completely yeah. overgrown and you said it had no kitchen in it. It said no kitchen, so it was new, Physically never no, finished. Okay, so it was so a it was yeah, one of those, house, yeah, like. yeah, gotcha, right. Um, so it um so it wasn't that it had been finished and neglected it was never finished okay. I suppose it got to yeah. that level probably in 2007 yeah and it just there was no market yeah, for it there. Then. Mm -hmm. it was on a site where there was meant to be two houses and due to objections it was reduced to one and that probably made the margin very tight already but right. then of course the value of them completely Plummeted. But it was a fully finished house. It just didn't have a kitchen it in it. It didn't have a kitchen exactly. So okay. it was sec it was it needed to be second fixed, I right. suppose. Um and I, I suppose slowly and on a tight budget went around the house doing bit by bit. Um, Would it have had flooring bring, in it even? It hadn't flooring. Right. No. And I yeah, I had to be so much more money conscious than right. I would have been, you know, 10 years previous that I've just chosen what I liked. Yeah, sure. I had to be so much more money conscious. And obviously I then was had migrated from Dublin and didn't know if the clients would follow as well. So yes. Had, I'd been working probably 60 hours a week in Dublin and I yeah. thought I might be down here and I might have only eight hours work a week. Because you're back in Mayo back now. back in Mayo. Okay. So I am... Um, Look, I was lucky client-wise, I suppose, a referral is better than any ad in the world, yeah. of course. Yeah. So for every one person you solve, and it's not even a great business for referrals because people don't, don't tell their friends to sure. Yeah. So actually, what was beginning to happen is solicitors, so I'd often be dealing with the consented voluntary sales. So I, I say I specialise in consented voluntary sales and then doing a deal on the shortfall. So mm -hmm. the person agrees the property has to go, mm -hmm. but they can't pay the balance. Mm -hmm. So what would happen then, of course, in order, I'd do all the prep, I'd agree a deal, I'd agree what we could sell it for, I'd have to get consent to pay an estate agent, a solicitor, mm -hmm. probably no management fees paid for years, yeah. no local property tax so bring all paid, those up no, to date. all of that up to date. So then I realised that as I was beginning to, then I would contact their solicitor and say, you're good to go, you can go ahead with the sale, and they'd be so agog at the deal I had done that right. I realised actually solicitors probably aren't as in the loop as you might think yeah they'd say oh, oh what there's no there's an agreement on the balance and i'd say oh yeah but it's it's um, there's been a lot of graft on this yeah, but yeah there's a full agreement yeah. on the balance we're going to pay this now and this in six months or maybe it's an amount per month yeah for three years maybe it's so i found the solicitors would be quite shocked because in a way they are telling have had been telling clients for years if you sell, they'll pursue you for the shortfall. Mm -hmm. 
which isn't really the, you know a deal can be done on shortfall mm-hmm. so now I probably get most of those type of referrals from solicitors actually. okay and okay, I get so as many from them as from it, uh, old clients. Sure, not surprising. But Catherine, so let's just take that house as an example. It's, yes. it's it's not a fully finished house. It doesn't have floors and it doesn't have a kitchen. And you've probably got very limited budget. Yes. Did you put in floors? I did indeed. And what did you go for? Um, I tiled downstairs and I carpeted all of upstairs. And uh, that's probably the so single tile the whole biggest downstairs expense, actually, is the tiling. Yeah. I think the tiling was 7 or 8,000 euro, which you'd cover almost the whole other house for. Yeah. And um, I had kitchens to do, bathrooms to do. So I think in total, but this is still very small for a four-bed detached house, I think in total has been 35,000 to get the house to um, to a livable standard. Right. Um. 25,000 and how many bedrooms were, was in it? It's a four bed um, detached house, so four bed, two living rooms, the kind of old rural house as I would say. Yeah. Um, whereas now I hear of people spending 25,000 on a flip that already has kitchens in it and I'm absolutely shock horrified. Okay. Because it sort of forced me to price everything everywhere. Um, so I, um, I, I would say that I probably added hundred thousand euro value out of that twenty five. Really, there. Goodness! So and for every euro you spent, you got back four. Exactly. You think? So, Catherine, can we just jump up to today? Say now, where um, am I right in thinking at this stage you've done about forty of these flips? Yes, I've probably done about twenty that I've been hands on involved in, a more a little bit more, and probably twenty then that I've advised, um, you know, um, organised services for people, etc. Yes. So some of them were kind of during the, um, just as things fell apart, but then probably 20 more recently. Right. Um, so you'd have people coming to you sometimes who could afford to pay the reduced price of the house. Yeah. But maybe they couldn't afford to or didn't know how to decorate. Yeah. So for example, you might say, well, I'll pair up with you. I I know exactly what to do and I have the budget to do the work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people, of course, are acid rich and cash poor. Yes. Um, and we make some sort of arrangements on the profit. Okay. So, so these are people who are going to sell yes, their house. They knew it, it wasn't looking anyway. its best. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I have done um, all types of arrangements with people or sometimes people have just bought something that they got a bargain they've actually bought at auction or something but they know something needs to be done right yeah um, and they might want to sell it on again but they just need to better. they need to add some value exactly okay so you were just talking about there were certain things you'd never get your money back on and certain things you would get your money yes. back on so if anyone's listening to this and thinking well there's a house that i have my eye on that looks like it's in terrible condition and i'm wondering if could i add some value to it what advice would you give to anyone who's thinking is it worth spending money doing the this or is it worth what do you think is worth spending money yes. on um well i suppose i think um, what you'll absolutely have to do, I suppose, always, I would say never reduce room size, some, uh, room numbers. Sometimes people think, oh, those two small rooms, I've knocked them into one and my heart would sink. Yeah. Because a three bed is a three bed, no matter how poor the room. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you could add a room, even if it's not a, you know, if it doesn't have planning permission, if people mm-hmm. see the space, they mm-hmm. can envisage themselves using mm-hmm. it. So I suppose what I would, what the minimum, but it's often a lot less than people think. Yes. I think you need tons of builders yeah. and tradesmen. It's often just a big deep clean, um, a paint. Um, an internal paint. An internal You're not keen on external paint, painting. I'm not really keen on external painting mm-hmm. because it's expensive enough. I think in an estate you'll get away without it if you sort of draw people's eye to the front door, maybe plants and a mat and mm-hmm. something like that. Paint the front door, you maybe. train people's eye, definitely, yeah. around yeah. a house. Yeah. If you're, I would 
stay always always present a house furnished it's an absolute empty rooms invite an awful lot of criticism it looks bare and lonely and cold and, and you made a very good point at the weekend if you have an empty room people's eyes are wandering looking for something to look at yes. so they'll naturally land on the wall and the wall might have a bit yes. of a crack so they'll they'll they want to look at something in this room so if you're not providing them a pretty pillow or a plant exactly. to look at their eye will be scouring oh. the ceiling and the walls for cracks Oh, completely. I had a client once trying to sell a house unfurnished because he had two on the go and I think he had furniture in the other one and I said, oh, there's no, I said, we'll just try it. There's no necessity to be getting another set of furniture. Well, it, it turned into a nightmare and all the feedback was the plastering isn't brilliant, the skirting boards are chipped mm. because they had too much time to look at the walls in yeah. detail. Yeah. Where when you see a sofa and a side table, you're almost imagining yourself sitting there yeah. and you're not overanalyzing the quality of finish. Right. And I thought, never again, that's the last unfurnished house you'll, you'll I get ever him. try and sell. Right. So you wouldn't at all suggest changing a kitchen? or Very rarely. Right. I but you, you do do you some clever doors. things. You yeah. can change doors, you can change your worktop, but actually changing the full carcass, unless it's gone, mm -hmm. is completely unnecessary. Right. Um, because it, you're you're into a much slower job now, even waiting for the kitchen to come. Sure. Um, so I would generally just repair what's there. Um, what I notice is I wouldn't bring in chests of drawers or wardrobes to a room if they don't have them. Yeah. People don't really notice what's not there. Yes. But if what's there is nice, they'll yeah. be happy. Really excellent idea. And in fact, I was able to pass it on. You had made a very good point about if there is no glass shower door, Yes. Uh, on the side of the bath that also has a telephone shower unit yes. in it don't bother putting one because they won't go looking for it really no. they'll just see the bath and yesterday a friend of mine a fellow agent had asked me to help him with something and he was saying i'm about to order that shower yes. door or that shower screen the glass panel yes. and i was saying don't no, get a fluffy towel and put yeah. on the side of the bath exactly you can really draw people's eye mm. around the room Mm. Um, and I suppose dressing and staging is huge. And I, I, I so think just maybe... dressing and staging. Will you just talk a little bit about that? Because it, it's you, you furnished it, but you've put in the minimum of furniture enough to basically show in each room exactly. what can fit. But you're not going the full no hundred percent. That have nowhere to put their clothes. Yes, probably. But at least they can see that a double bed fits. Exactly. And am I right in thinking he'd always put bed you know, a locker either side of the bed and lamps? Yes, and lamps. Mm -hmm. And I tend to put a couple of books and always curtains, even though I often don't put a blind or anything under them. So you'd always they put up just curtains. It's kind of a texture right. to the wall. Um, and the baths, I often think bathrooms can be cold and of course they are often warm. Whereas if you put lovely big fluffy towels and nice mm -hmm. soaps, again, it brings the eye more to them than whether the tiles might have little chips. And you said you never once replaced a full bathroom suite, which I thought that blew my no. mind, I must say. Um, and I think sometimes people leap into that because bathroom suites are actually quite cheap. I know electric showers yeah. are several hundred, but suites are cheap. But the murder only starts when you try and get a plumber to take it out and a skip yeah. to remove it yeah. and a tiler to, to fix. finish it. Yeah. So even places that initially I'd walk in and say, oh God, these tiles are loud. I'd begun to realise that big cream fluffy towels sort of counteract the loud. Right. If you put a couple of towels on the side of the bath, they're, they're calm and plain and inviting. And they seem to tone down yeah. these very bright terracotta tiles. Um, and again, you're drawing the eye. I'd usually put something in the windowsill. Yeah. I'd have nice soaps. Um, so I've never actually changed the bathroom. I've replaced a sink that was just missing. Sometimes pieces of it will be missing on mm. the side bath panel. But I've never actually replaced um, a full set at all because it's the plumber and the skip it's the, the suite will be cheap yeah and people often leap in before they think it through but the plumber won't be cheap yeah skip won't be cheap to get and rid the of delay it. you're yeah. talking now more two weeks right. where i feel you should have the whole house done in two weeks two weeks yes good lord captain will you just before we finish will we just share the example of the house he did which was a pretty my you shared it with our property group here in sandy Man hotel a few weeks ago the um one of the house i think it was in valley Fermat, that yes. was absolutely awful will you just yes. describe that house and give yes. us the figures on it so for this anyone? was an ex-council house and um, 
very, very, very much abandoned, had been abandoned for a while, and actually the neighbours had been dumping a terraced house, but the rubbish from the whole row seemed to be finding <laughs> its way into the garden. There was four-legged friends and everything running around the first right. day I visited. Oh um, so this, um, it was a two-bed, um, but the great size bedrooms, you know, the um, ex-local authority, mm -hmm. and just filthy front and back. The kitchen. So we're talking rubbish and overflowing walls. bins. Right. Exactly. The kitchen had been pulled off the walls and most of it was gone. Same thing with the wardrobes. Mm -hmm. um, the bathroom tired, but nothing actually structurally wrong. Um, bare floors upstairs, even the carpets were gone. Right. So it was really, really, really scruffy. Um, and I had been asked to do some work on the negotiation with the bank on this. Um, it went on the market and there was almost no bite. And so will you give I'd us the actually, asking price on the market? It was 135 or something right. like that. Right, that's pretty good price. And, um, so a guy who I worked with regularly at the time bought it at one thirty, a one one yeah one thirty. Okay. Um, and so the costs I would usually say the purchase costs and something like that are about three and a half thousand. Sometimes people are surprised by this. They say, "Oh, I thought a solicitor was only twelve hundred euro nowadays." Mm -hmm. But obviously, if a legal fee is twelve hundred, that's plus that plus outlays plus registration plus stamp duty. Mm -hmm. So this looked like a large, large job, um, but I got three guys in. Well, I got a guy who I dealt with regularly who then had brought both of his brothers to tackle the job. Yeah. And I, I remember was coming into a bank holiday when I got the keys to it. It was actually Thursday evening. Yeah. So I boldly went, um, which was a feat of optimism because you wouldn't get an Irish builder on a bank holiday weekend usually. Yeah. But... Um, I went to Ikea, I ran in, measured quickly, I didn't even retile the kitchen floor and the kitchen, there was no tile under where the units should be, so it had to be an exact fit of a mm -hmm. replacement kitchen and the wall was part tiled. So I raced off to Ikea Thursday evening and actually if you order by sort of 8pm, they'll actually deliver the following morning right. in Dub within Dublin and then they go to the different counties, particular days of the week. So they may go to Mayo Tuesday and Friday. Right. They may go to Carlow Wednesday and Thursday. So even though I'd literally only popped my head in once, my my kitchen with all its integrated appliances arrived the next morning. Literally just the same time this chap arrived to price up. And I hoped and hoped he'd be free for the weekend. I'd skip ordered as well, a large skip because... And I did it fit in the driveway or did it have to go on the road? Drive, okay, that's good. Put, of course, people are parking and they're flushing yeah. over a little bit mm -hmm. and you're attracting an awful lot of attention as well. Of right. Course, because you have a lot of people who are curious what's going on. And who'd like to fill that skip over so the bank all the weekend for you. So if you don't fill it, somebody's yeah. going to fill it. Yeah. So mercifully, this chap made himself available straight away. Um, absolutely great worker and he told me go back to Mayo and don't worry and um, I oh got went and bought all the paint went through all the supplies so I was the stores lady for Friday yeah and as instructed then I went off to Mayo and I spent the weekend then thinking oh my biting god biting your nails too much work yeah I shouldn't have left this is crazy. He doesn't speak in. He speaks English, but he won't be able to read English. And yeah. after leaving him, I think there was like a hundred and six boxes from IKEA. Right. Stuff to be assembled. Yeah. And I had also rushed in the carpet fitter on the Friday. I'd actually measured because the carpets were just upstairs, stairs, yeah. landing, bedrooms. Yeah. So I had said I'd prefer to be here for this myself because I have actually heard so many times of the wrong carpet being fitted if you're not right. there to supervise. So I said I'd like to be there for this. Um, so I had measured prior. I think that's a big thing. If you can get in and measure before, you don't have to have a house paid for yeah. to measure the kitchen. Right. That's really the secret to getting in and out. But um, getting so in with a purpose, like as a selling agent, I've seen people coming in just to get in to have a look and, and, and I understand why they want to, but they don't really know what it is they want. They think they're measuring for a couch, but they're not taking the right measurements. So yes. it's like getting in with an absolute bulletproof 
checklist that you want to get this measurement, that dimension, yes. rather than just pottering in and taking a few photographs. Exactly, because mm. then you can be completely teed up. Yeah. And once you've signed contracts for a house, it's very unlikely to fall through. So I was able to hit the ground running, then I had the carpet man came, so the carpets are done, the stuff has arrived, and also furniture which I use for staging has arrived. I had a van man who would move it around and um, the place and off I trotted and left them to it. So okay. I, I left three of them there for three days. And when I came back Tuesday morning, all was an absolutely fantastic job. I mean, apart from even clearing the garden and there was a broken down shed and all this rubbish had to come back through the house, mm -hmm. they had actually whitewashed the whole garden walls, wow. which made it look really, really Fresh. long. They had made a new door for the shed. They had cleared out the whole shed, which it turned out was also full of rubbish. Oh, God, yeah. All of upstairs, curtains, beds assembled. All that was left, really, was for me to dress, to put the beds, um, to put bed linen, pictures, and a couple of things. And so those beds were part of your staging kit, were they? They were, yeah. exactly. And they about the, the same set probably did four jobs, and they weren't expensive to start with. Right. So, um... That house was... So it had been bought for by your... It had been bought for one thirty. I spent about eight and a half. And I'd eight say and a half close, thousand. I'd say cost to purchase about three and a half. Yeah. So let's say 12 um, plus one thirty is one forty two, And it was sale agreed on the first viewing for 197000 My goodness. And very very interestingly the lady who bought it said she had seen it for sale at one thirty and wouldn't view because she felt it was filthy, disgusting, too which much it was. to do. Oh yeah, but which, yes. So the windows but, were obviously sound enough. The, yes. Yes, and it exactly. Had... So structurally, there was nothing at all wrong. It was all cosmetic. Mm. It was missing a kitchen, but even that's cosmetic, obviously. Yeah, and it's only really if you know how much work it is or isn't to put in a kitchen that you are more yes. or less scared of yes. that thought or that prospect. Exactly. Um, so, Catherine, that is a really fascinating story, and I, I think it would give great heart to anyone who is thinking, yes. maybe I could add value, what not to do, because I think people are very keen to, you know, restore stained glass and, you know, put in yes. new bathrooms and all that stuff. But yes. really, you've shown in many examples that you gave over the weekend that it is the bare minimum. It's a lot of decluttering, cleaning, yes. internal painting and then staging, putting yes. some furniture in each room. That is key to the whole thing. Absolutely. Brilliant. By all means, knock yourself out in your own house, but you won't get your money back in a regular you know, two bed, three bed, mm -hmm. unless you're at the high end of the market, I think, on the more expensive stuff. Right. So really, the money to be made in this buying, doing up and selling on, which is, I suppose we call a flip, is yes. basically in the difference in concept between people who don't know how much work it is and people who do know how much work it is. Because yes. that's where you're making the margin, really, yes. isn't it? It's, it is. The fear of the unknown. Yeah. And people definitely over overestimate how much it will take to do a job. Take. And I suppose you have to have a crap team as well together like you've had yourself. You do. And obviously that's hit and miss to start with. You sure. will have disasters and people will let you down. And I've had bats left in the middle of the living room full of rubble oh. and oh, fellas gone off to the pub. So that does right. happen. Yes. No. But, but you, you just you trial and error. Yeah. You, you learn the signs. You learn the signs. That's exactly. a good point. <laughs> Great. Well, Catherine, thank you very much for sharing you your so journey. I wish you continued thanks. success. Thank you very, very much. And you're to be found at intelligentproperty.ie. Oh, that's Catherine right. Brennan at Intelligent. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Did you enjoy this podcast? If so, we'd love you to subscribe to it and tell your friends, family and colleagues. In the meanwhile, if you think you'd benefit from some professional help with your next property transaction, then head over to BethanyO'Kelly.ie to see which of our three property services might be best for you. Thanks for listening.